Arc is Reveal's connected edge AI. Cisco completes their Acedian acquisition. Unigen bakes us a tasty cupcake. We're going to hear from Cohesity about some of their new partnerships. We've got a look at Toshiba going private, as well as the foundation of the United Acceleration Foundation, and a special closer look at Intel spinning off their PSG group this week on The Rundown. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown for Wednesday, October the 4th. My name is Tom Hollingsworth, and I hope you're enjoying yourself a tasty taco day because it is, in fact, National Taco Day. It's also National Cinnamon Bun Day, which does beg the question, is a cinnamon bun a taco? While you debate that, I'll get the information from my co-host and friend, Mr. Stephen Foskett. Stephen, welcome to the rundown this week. It's good to be here. And I guess if a cinnamon bun was anything, I guess it would be, what, a sopapilla? I think that's probably a little bit closer, but whatever it is, I'm going to be having one for dessert after we finish with this wonderful lineup of great news stories that we've got this week, as we mentioned in the opening. We're going to start off with some information from a networking field day presenter, Arcus, because they've introduced a networking solution targeted at the AI sector. Arcus Connected Edge AI, which is abbreviated ACE AI, is designed to handle the growing volume of AI data transfers between the edge data center and telco points of presence, as well as the cloud. You know, this is a topic that we have frequently discussed on utilizing tech, both during the current edge season, as well as our previous AI season. And we've also discussed this quite a bit during networking field day and cloud field day. Stephen, what stands out to you about Arcus's solution? Well, the thing that stands out to me the most is that this is honestly a very a very good solution. It's a very honest solution. This is a company that understands what's going on at the edge. And we're actually going to be covering this more and more, I think, this kind of collision between uh, edge AI inferencing, uh, moving around data, moving data between edge and cloud and data center. All of these things are just incredibly important in terms of, of what's happening at the edge. And of course, that's what we're going to hear about this week at Edge Field Day. But as you mentioned, it's also what we've covered on utilizing tech for five seasons now. Essentially, all of these, um, uh, basically everywhere you go, there's computing, there's sensors, there's cameras, there's processing at the edge. And as we've talked about all season long, and as, as well as at Edge Field Day, um, all of that data has to be, well, either moved or processed or both. Now, Arcus is a company that has really, really solid networking chops that really understands the, the challenges of moving data and has put together a really nice solution to basically be able to try to leverage and integrate data at the edge, especially AI data, which tends to be high volume and uh, non-compressible and so on, um, with what's going on in the cloud and in the data center. And this, this solution really is, um, again, it, it's, it's focused on, on, on making sure that the right data is in the right place at the right time for use by AI processing engines. Now, that is really in line with what we're seeing. And frankly, I can't think of a better group to do it than Arcus. So if you're interested, do check out uh, their ACE AI, their Arcus Connected Edge AI solution, and uh, let us know what you think. Tom, Cisco announced the completion of their acquisition of Acedian this week. The deal, which was announced back in June, is rumored to have been worth around $370 million dollars. Exedian provides services assurance and monitoring, including troubleshooting of faults and recommended fixes. 
their Skylight platform was already being offered by Cisco as a partnership. And uh, this is going to be folded right into the Cisco Crosswork Network Automation Suite. Tom, uh, what does Exceedian bring to Cisco? They bring the ability to make sure that what's going on is actually happening and that there are no faults that are occurring in it. You may recall that we've actually talked to the Crosswork team on a number of occasions, most recently back during our Techfield Extra at Cisco Live event. And Omar Sultan actually got up and, and I did an interview with him where we talked about some of the challenges that companies are facing when it comes to automation adoption. And one of those things is just the assurance that you are doing what you say you're doing. I mean, if we go out and we run a script and it touches 10,000 devices. You want to make sure that not only did it touch them, but it did it in a way that that things are still functional. And that was kind of one of the areas where honestly, Cisco needed a little help. It was one of the glaring kind of omissions in the Crosswork Network Automation platform. And so this uh, announcement back in June kind of made a lot of sense to people. And of course, you know, in the business world, just because you've announced that you're buying somebody doesn't necessarily mean that all the paperwork is done. And so they actually got this in, uh, you know, late last week, right before the close of the quarter, so that they could, you know, make good on all their uh, promises and things like that. So I think that this is going to be a huge win for that team at Cisco. And there's going to be a lot of opportunity to kind of show customers uh, what the, you know, what's going on behind the scenes. Uh, as, as one uh, article put it, you know, this is kind of one of those plumbing things that looks like absolute magic to people who don't understand what's going on, on behind the scenes, which honestly is the best way to sell this to the C-suite. All right, Stephen, we, we teased it in the opening, but uh, I hope you're hungry for a cupcake because this week we were briefed by Unigen, a company that has over 30 years of experience that is focused on OEM manufacturing, and they have a new Edge AI server that they're calling Cupcake. This compact Edge server might not draw much attention, but it has a few surprises lurking inside thanks to a very clever design. Now, given this week that we're here at Edge Field Day, what do you think we should do, Stephen? Should we take a look at this tasty treat? Well, man, I wish that we had talked to Unigen previously because this thing is um, surprisingly cool. So at a glance, you might look at it and say, oh, that's just another one of those fanless uh, edge servers. We've seen plenty of those. But um, uh, fact number one is that Unigen has a lot of in-house design, engineering, and build capabilities, uh, both here as well as in China and in Vietnam. And this company has uh, been building SSDs and uh, small form factor PCs and so on for a long time. You might not have heard of them because most of the stuff that they make ends up getting sold with somebody else's name on it. Now, this, uh, this is all changing now with uh, some of the latest moves that they're making, including this Cupcake server, which, by the way, I love the name. I love that it's not called the XYZ PDQ. Um, this thing is essentially a small form factor Atom PC uh, in a fanless box. And you might be like, yeah, so what, big deal. Well, it's got some clever features um, that show that Unigen knows a bit about the edge market, especially the IoT edge. So essentially this thing has um, you know, DC power input, it's got a CAN bus. Um, so it's made for integration into IoT locations. Um, it has four PoE output ports, so you can dirt plug uh, cameras and, and other PoE devices directly into this and power it directly off of the box. Awesome. Uh, ports and, um, and, and switches are, uh, well, anything else you have to plug in at the edge is just another thing that can fail, another thing you have to buy, and another source of trouble. Inside the box, though, this is where it gets a little interesting. 
So inside the uh, cupcake, you will find a E1.S connector. Now, what is that? Well, as we're going to find out uh, today at Edge Field Day, E1.S is a new form factor for NVMe SSDs. It is essentially NVMe is PCI Express going directly to storage. But there's no reason it has to be storage. An E1.S connector is PCI Express. It can connect to almost anything. And Unigen, yeah, Unigen does allow you to connect an E1.S um, storage module in there. In fact, they have their own um, E1.S to M.2 um, SSD attachment that you can put in there if you want to have a bunch of storage. But you can also put in that, in that spot inside the box all sorts of accelerators. And that's where the cupcake gets really interesting because that E1.S could host um, an AI um, accelerator engine, an offload device. And in fact, that's what Unigen is going to be delivering with a whole raft of partners. So what we've got here is a nice little low-powered fanless box that integrates nicely and seamlessly with IoT sensors and cameras and can host some pretty hefty um, AI processing right within the unit. And it's built and supported by a company with years of, of experience delivering into this market. It's a very cool box, and I was very happy to, to learn about it from Unigen. Another familiar company uh, for us, Cohesity, has announced uh, new partners in their data security alliance. The goal is to increase posture management and work with companies that specialize in data classification. The new additions include some big names like uh, Big ID and Security. Uh, the data security posture management space is growing rapidly, and the move by Cohesity to partner with these six companies means that they have some pretty big reach there. How will these partnerships benefit uh, Cohesity's goals for security and as well as the overall trend of integrating uh, security, data protection, and storage? I like this move because it basically means that Cohesity is saying that, you know, this is kind of a nascent space. Like there's a lot of people who are trying to figure out the best way to accomplish this. And their goal, rather than just picking one horse and running with it, was to say, well, let's just pick all of the leading vendors. There's two reasons for that. One, you know, as we see a lot of times, the best approach, you know, to doing something eventually kind of does win out through direct competition. But two, when you think about the fact that this is something that's designed to work with identifying data that needs to be classified or needs to be protected and remediating these solutions, when you buy one of these products, you kind of stick with it, right? Because they have a method to their madness which means that if you want to get into spaces in companies that are already adopting these solutions, you kind of have to partner with all of them or a very large subset of them in order to ensure that you have the ability to get into that company. So this kind of helps sec the security message from Cohesity kind of stand out and say, well, we're working together with a lot of companies to make sure that we have the best solution for you. So that means that you can't just, you know, when the Cohesity people show up to try to get you to adopt their version of, you know, how to store this data or how to save it, um, you know, that you, you're not like, oh, well, I'm not going to use you because you're not using Big ID's solution, for example. Um, and when you look at this, this data security alliance, it's actually kind of big. I mean, there's a ton of members across it. 
um, you know, this, the, these recent uh, additions kind of make it grow. Although I thought it was kind of fascinating that it's actually about to shrink by one because Cisco and Splunk are both parts of the Data Security Alliance and then soon they will be one company. So I, I like this idea that they're all kind of playing nice with each other and they're agreeing to kind of work together a little bit um, to create this because as we've seen, uh, you know, in weeks past and, you know, even this week, there's been a lot of, of attacks that have been coming out and one of the things that they're going after is this data. So the more you can protect it at rest, the better off it's going to be for everybody. So, you know, this is a smart move by Cohesity. And I think that this security angle is really going to help them kind of increase their sales into places where, you know, maybe they weren't going to be given a second look before uh, just because it gives people peace of mind at night. All right, we talked to the Linux Foundation and heard that they have established a unified acceleration foundation. They're gonna be developing an open standard accelerator programming model for high performance cross-platform applications. The UXL Foundation aims to set up open standards for CPUs, GPUs, FPGAs, and accelerator-based computing. It's supported by tech companies that you probably recognize like ARM, Fujitsu, Google Cloud, Intel, Qualcomm and Samsung, but notably missing are NVIDIA and AMD, who already have a very strong accelerator strategy. Stephen, what is the goal of UXL and how will it play well in the market against people who are saying, you know what, we're just going to kind of go our own way? I think that UXL is a, a phenomenal move. And once again, we see the Linux Foundation really leading the charge in terms of bringing standardization and um, to, to the world of enterprise compute and also figuring out how to get lots and lots of vendors to work together in a harmonious way. So first off, um, let me be very, very clear. Um, the UXL is based on one API, which was Intel's initiative to create an open standard for uh, API programming. Um, now, this has always been an open effort, and Intel has always welcomed other uh, participants. Intel was the big driver behind it, though, and it really matches the sort of thing you might expect from Intel. So one API basically is uh, a way to unify all of these varied uh, accelerators that we're seeing in the market. Now, that's, that's a huge, huge keyword. I mean, if you think about what does is, what is, uh, NVIDIA make? Um, they make accelerators. Essentially, they're, these, are, these are chips that are not CPUs, not general purpose CPUs. They're specific purpose processors that are designed to do things like graphics processing or AI processing or uh, sort of anything else, uh, including FPGAs that can literally do anything else. Now, the idea with one API was we really need to have a single unified interface that would allow a programmer to address all the varied kinds of hardware that they might encounter doing all of these accelerator tasks. It includes both direct programming as well as API-based programming. So despite the name, it's not just API-based. But that being said, the API strategy is the strongest because the idea is that essentially you would have a unified way to address, um, for example, GPUs from various different vendors or other maybe accelerated instructions from various vendors. And, and it would make the, the software development easier. It would also encourage people to adopt more diverse hardware in terms of, you know, I mean, if, if, if you can use hardware from 10 different companies in the same API, then you're more likely to address it. And I think that this explains not only why the Linux Foundation is interested in supporting it, but why it's gotten a little less of a warm reception from companies like NVIDIA, 
who are really making hay with their CUDA um, API. And um, you know they're pretty happy to have a proprietary system where you got to buy more and more and more NVIDIA hardware. I don't blame them. Um, honestly, the same can be said of AMD, which of course has not just uh, a GPU, but other accelerators, including uh, FPGA. Um, for them, you know, they probably would love it if you bought more NVIDIA or more, <laughs> not NVIDIA, and more AMD hardware. Um, but Intel, Intel has always been dedicated to openness, and that's exactly what's happening here. So I, I, I applaud the Linux Foundation for taking this thing up. Um, I can't wait to see where it goes. Uh, One API was already really solid, and this making it an open standard under the Linux Foundation is a, a really, really smart move. The industry has been wondering what would happen with Toshiba. And that question is now answered. Toshiba announced the successful completion of a $14 billion tender offer by private equity firms, uh, Japan Industrial Partners, which leads a consortium that has acquired nearly 80% of Toshiba's shares. This brings Toshiba back under, under domestic control after years of strife with overseas activist investors. And the company plans to maintain Toshiba's CEO to restore morale and investor confidence. Tom, are we finally at the end of, of, of struggle for Toshiba? I don't know that we're at the end of struggle, but we're definitely at the end of watching it unfold publicly in in the space where you've got activist investors who are basically trying their hardest to make Toshiba look bad. And and I mean, let's be fair. If you look back over at the history of what's been going on, they've taken it pretty hard. Like, you know, they well, way back in 2018, you know, they were one of the leaders in the NAND storage market, and they had to kind of sell off some of those assets in order to raise money to deal with some of the accounting shortfalls and things that they were dealing with. You may know that company because it became Kyosha. Um, you know, they've been partnering with other companies along the way. Uh, they've had a partnership with Western Digital. They're, you're kind of, you know, when you think about it, they're, they're the number three company in the hard drive manufacturing space. And you're like, oh, well, that's not bad. Well, the problem is there's only three companies left that make hard drives. And so, you know, they, they, it's, it's a lucrative business for them. But on top of everything else that's been going on, because these conglomerate companies are, what's the word I'm looking for here? We're kind of ripe for, for uh, targeting by these activist investor firms because what they want to do is they want to get rid of as many of these money losing assets inside of the company as they can to get a huge return. And that's not the Japanese way. And so I think that there's been this, this very tense struggle for a long time. And when you look into the headlines of, of the sale, like even the, the, the JIP group is basically saying, you know, this was the best offer we could make. And Toshiba's like, we had to take it because it was the best offer on the table. And, and it wasn't, you know, a, a complete success. You, you, they bought around just shy of 80% of the stock, which basically allows them to force out those activist investors. Um, probably not for what they wanted their their return to be. But what it means is that the company gets brought back to Japan where it's under Japanese control and they can kind of do their way of managing things. Um, they're going to obviously work through some of the challenges that Toshiba has had. They're going to focus on the things that are profitable, but they're not going to make hay about it in the news to try to drive the stock price. And I think that, that it's a cultural shift. And Honestly, for the people at Toshiba, it's probably a welcome one because they're kind of back home where they think that they're going to get the best opportunities. So I'm kind of curious to see not only how this impacts all of Toshiba's other product lines, but specifically when it comes to hard drives and NAND flash and some of the partnerships that they have, how that's going to help drive, you know, maybe innovation in the storage market or perhaps, you know, depending on how it looks, consolidation or acquisition of other assets. Uh, time will tell how that happens. 
All right, Stephen, we talked about having a closer look at a big story coming out of uh, Intel. So they're going to be spinning off their programmable solutions group as an independent business. They're aiming to have an IPO for PSG in about two to three years. Now, PSG is led by Intel's current data center and AI group EVP, Sandra Rivera, who's someone you're very familiar with. They're going to operate independently as part of Intel's broader restructuring efforts. Despite PSG's past financial success, Intel believes that the shift will enable more agility and growth, targeting markets beyond just the data center. The goal is to retain majority ownership while allowing PSG to operate autonomously within the competitive FPGA market, similar to the approach that Intel took with Mobileye last year. So Stephen, hearing that Intel's spinning off uh, a, a very big, profitable part of their business, what does that mean for the future here? Yeah, this is an interesting story because it sort of, well, first off, because it reveals what uh, Intel's overall strategy is. And I think I'll let you talk to that, Tom, but also because it shows a recognition that maybe FPGAs and CPUs and accelerators, maybe they are different animals and need to be treated differently. So first off, let me um, kind of give you a little bit of background here. So um, this uh, is all about FPGAs. So back in uh, 2015, uh, Intel acquired Altera, which was probably the leading company in the FPGA space. And what is an FPGA? Well, it's a field programmable gate array, but you should think of it as basically sort of <laughs> soft hardware. The idea is that it is a CPU, a chip, just like any other, except that you can program it and dynamically reconfigure it on the fly to do some very cool things. FPGAs are used all over the place, especially in prototypes, but even in um, production hardware. And what you can do is basically you can download a physical configuration to that chip, and then that chip can do what it's supposed to do. So for example, a lot of FPGAs are running a soft ARM core. Um, that's one of the, the things that people put in, uh, in FPGAs. Um, a lot of them also run things like special purpose accelerators and processors. Um, and those, of course, are uh, really nice to have in hardware. But what if, what if your programs change? What if your needs change? Well, the cool thing with an FPGA is you can just download a new uh, configuration using a language called HDL. And that language can basically create a virtual ASIC that can do things. One of my favorite uses of, of FPGAs is in retro computing. Just Google that, you'll see it. Um, now, what's going on here though, is that Intel had put the uh, this FPGA business alongside uh, their Xeon data center uh, processors, as well as their AI acceleration, which makes a lot of sense. Uh, that actually mirrors how uh, AMD is treating their Xilinx acquisition, for example. And um, in having all of this stuff together, it means that Intel could put, could put together a, a sort of a, an overall accelerated compute offering that uh, spans all the way from CPU to GPU to AI, IPU, XPU, I don't know what you want to call it, to uh, FPGA. The problem is that FPGAs really are different animals. And as I just mentioned, FPGAs have lots of markets that aren't um, just DPU, IPU, or data center accelerator. And by having it be bound up with that data center and uh, cloud and AI group, it makes it less um, 
friendly, I guess, to unlock some of those other values. So that's what Intel is doing. They're going to spin this out. This is very similar to what they did with Mobileye. Uh, Tom, tell us a little bit about your approach or your thoughts on, on Intel's strategy for dealing with this. So you're absolutely right, Stephen, that, that Intel wanted to unlock value in the FPGA market. And, and what their hope was is that by combining it with all their other assets, they were going to create this synergy. You know, maybe maybe the idea was is that we, you know, we can reduce the amount of programming that has to happen or something along those lines. But realistically speaking, that's not that's not the way that it occurred. So Intel's basically faced with a couple of decisions. We're going to kill the division, which they've done. They've, they've closed off a lot of assets here recently. They can sell it off to somebody. You know, if there's a buyer that's willing to buy off that, that um, product line, great. I mean, we've seen them do that a couple of times. But realistically speaking, something this big, they've got to spin it out. They need to recover that money. And you'll notice that they're not selling it off completely. They are retaining an ownership share. So Pat's smart enough to know that there is a future in FPGAs. It's just not inside of Intel. And so by kind of releasing this back into the market to grow and to kind of do its own exploration work without having to worry about working inside of that structure of Intel, I think that this is going to pay off in the future. And that revenue stream from being owners of of the uh, of PSG, whatever they're going to end up calling it, is going to pay off handsomely for them in the long run because they still get all of the benefits. They just don't have to deal with all of the other, I don't know, uh, hindrances, if you want to think about it. Because look how long it took for Intel to come up with something like the chiplet idea, where you know we're not going to rev every chip on a die every time we make a new processor we can still reuse some of the old parts. Like in you know, thinking about it today, we're like, well, yeah, that just kind of makes sense. Why wouldn't you do that? Well, because you're Intel. And because that's not how things are done at Intel. You know, it's the old, uh, it, I, I say it all the time, but it's that old thinking of this is not Tom Watson's IBM. You know, well, Tom Watson's IBM would be out of business right now if they didn't transform the company. And I think that one of the most important things to make this work is that they put someone in charge of it who really gets it, and that's Sandra Rivera. And Stephen, I know that you've worked with her in the past on some things, and I thought maybe you could kind of give us a little bit of perspective about why she's the best person to do this. Yeah, I mean, let's just start by saying that Sandra Rivera is 100% the best person to be CEO of, well, frankly, anything. In fact, I would have loved to see her as a future CEO of Intel, and that may actually happen. Uh, but given that, um, I think that it's important to realize. So this is someone who has been a steady hand at the data center and AI group for years. Um, she has been with Intel, I believe, since, uh, uh, well, for, for decades, uh, 2010, I think. Um, and she uh, or is has a background as an electrical engineer. Um, she actually was in charge of HR for a while, uh, but don't let that fool you. That just shows that this is someone who is a phenomenal manager, someone who really understands how to direct people. Um, and also, this is someone who is incredibly technical and really understands the product line. Um, as I said, you know that Intel has had some tumultuous times with uh, their failure to deliver on uh, process node improvements, uh, manufacturing, you know, delays, uh, getting hardware to market. Um, throughout all of that, Sandra Rivera is somebody who I have always been able to count on to uh, you know, tell it like it is, but also to um, 
be setting the right, the best possible course, given the scenarios around. And she also really understands this varied business that the uh, Programmable Solutions Group is going to find itself in. So frankly, I, I can't imagine somebody who's better uh, able to take this business, IPO it, uh, do all the things that need to be done, both organizationally and in terms of corporate, uh, legal, et cetera, and yet also set a marketing strategy that is going to put this thing on a good footing. And frankly, that's what I think is going to happen. Um, just like Mobileye, I think that this uh, IPO will happen. I think that Intel will cash in, uh, get some money out of it. And I think that being freed from the data center um, constraints that Intel places around it, I think that the future uh, PSG, which, hey, let's just call it Altera again, um, will be really, really well positioned to take advantage of the need for FPGAs in the market. I also don't think that this spells the end of collaboration between Intel and this group. I mean, just like Mobileye, I think that we're going to see um, a, a brother or a cousin to Intel at the very least. But it does give the Programmable Solutions Group the ability to set its own agenda, to make its own alliances, and to really forge its way in the market. So again, this is a smart move. It shows that Gelsinger is focused on the eyes on the prize in terms of figuring out manufacturing and getting Intel back to where it needs to be as the uh, chip-making juggernaut. And um, again, I can't think of anybody better to do it than Sandra Rivera. Well, we will definitely be covering this story on the rundown as it develops, because uh, this is one of those things that, you know, there's huge potential in the future. And in the future, you will also be able to see some great events that we're taking part in. One of them is happening right now, actually. We're here at Edge Field Day. It'll be happening on October the 4th and 5th. We've got some great presentations lined up, as well as some wonderful discussions from our delegates. Make sure you go to techfieldday.com, click on the logo for Edge Field Day, and you can check out who's presenting and at what time. And right after that, we've got more great stuff coming up. Stephen, what are you going to be working on next? So October 18th and 19th, we're going to be, uh, uh, well, we're going to be attending OCP Summit that week, but we're also going to be uh, doing our Cloud Field Day event. And it's shaping up to be a real uh, excellent event. Uh, we've got companies, uh, familiar names uh, like Weka and uh, VMware and Juniper presenting, uh, along with Fortinet, uh, Prosimo, and a new company, Mesmo, with a Field Day introduction session. So tune in October 18th and 19th for that one. In the next week, you're going to be hearing from me again because I'm going to be right back out here for Networking Field Day. That's right. We're having another one this year. We've got some great presentations from our friends over at Cisco. We're going to be hearing from Intel as well. Also, Fortinet and a great new company, RGNets. I'm really excited to be able to talk to them. Um, we will be doing that October 25th and 26th. So please make sure you check out the website for more details and scheduling. And uh, if we uh, manage to have any cool new additions to the uh, lineup, you'll definitely see those on the page. Uh, we will also be doing the rundown each and every week. Wednesday, we will be coming to you uh, live around 1230 Eastern time with all the news that happened. Um, we love covering that with you, whether we're on site uh, in the studio or, well, if we one of us can manage to make it to the International Space Station, I'm sure we're going to do the rundown from there, too. If you have any stories that you want to send our way, please make sure you tag us. We're at Gestalt IT on almost every social platform. 
Uh, if you want to listen to this as a podcast, you can listen to us in your favorite podcast application of choice. Maybe as you're flying to some far off remote destination to do something cool, um, you know, we'd love to keep you up to date with the news. Uh, we'll be back next week with more great headlines. Until then, take care of yourself, stay safe, and we will give you the rundown then. Thank you.